0: Hello, welcome to the Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and I'm a member of the UK Conservative Party. Joining me is my friend and co-host from the other side of the political aisle, Josh, who is a member of the UK Labour Party. Political civility is our mission and our cause, and we aim to discuss the week's news with all of that in mind. Now, on with the show. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced this Monday on the 22nd of February the plan for easing the lockdown with all restrictions lifted on the 21st of June this year. So, Josh, what did you make of the easing of the lockdown?
1: Yeah, so personally, um, whilst it's always, you know, a little bit disappointing that, you know, we're going through what we're going through, although it's totally understandable, um, I genuinely kind of largely agree with the timelines that were laid out um, and the high level plans of how we move through each stage. Um, You know, I'm a realist. I'd love stuff to be open sooner, but I totally get it. Like this is head versus heart stuff. And I think we're on the kind of the right approach. Um, And it looks like the exit strategy uh, for me currently is the right one.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I think that my biggest concern with it is actually not in terms of easing things back. I know that some people want things to be uh, unlocked sooner, so to speak, and I I totally understand why people want that. But I think, like you're saying, I, I just I, I think that we want it to be done right, you know. And yeah. and if this is going to happen, we don't want to go back into lockdown again. And so that that's my only concern is the fact that I just really really hope that this is actually even if they. Push the dates back a little bit, which would obviously really, really suck. But if they did that, um, at least it would still be the last lock, last lockdown. But the idea that we got to unlocking things a few times, like has happened before, but then we have to lockdown again, I think would would I think people would be very, very angry, and maybe rightly so for that. I'm totally with you. If we have to push
1: um, dates back because we see the rate of infection and hospitalisation numbers peak. Or rise at the end of each phase, then so be it. But we just need to be clear. Uh, and one thing I've kind of bashed the government on is, probably, you know, for last year has been some of the messaging. Um, I personally always thought it was kind of obvious that every time we had a lockdown before, that we would eventually have another lockdown and a further subsequent lockdown, just because the virus wasn't going anywhere. Mm. Um, but now we've, you know, NHS are cracking on incredibly well with the um, vaccinations. It, you would like to think that this should be the last lockdown that we have to have. So it's for me, it's imperative that we get it right because, and even if that means being delayed, because yeah, we can't go through another lockdown.
0: Well, I mean, what Matt Hancock in particular was saying was that eventually COVID will have to just be treated like the flu. No, not that in terms of its severity is necessarily comparable, because I think that sometimes it can be a rather dangerous comparison to make because COVID is obviously a lot more serious. But in terms of the fact that, people every year get their flu jab, then people every year will maybe have to get their COVID jab. And so the idea of moving or transitioning to that model um, seems to me rather a sensible one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not We're never going get, to get rid of it, are we? Um, people try and say this, maybe slightly disingenuous or maybe I'm misunderstanding what They say there's kind of zero COVID uh, strategy, but it ain't going anywhere because people will eventually be flying around, um, hopefully on holidays and various other places and people come in, food, exports, imports, all that. And all of that brings a a chance um, of infection. Now, the only thing we can hope is that then there's enough people vaccinated or people vaccinated that it then, you know, remains largely kind of unaffected. And whilst the numbers of people that, you know, sounded dire flu are quite high, um, nowhere, Near as high as uh, COVID has been, I don't think, and um, not for as long. So, you know, we'll get there, are always going to be some residual deaths every year, but which is always going to be horrible. But yeah, you're right. It's going to have to be something that we eventually live with. And that would mean we'll have to have a uh, successful vaccination program in place.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I did like the fact that there seemed to be, I mean, mostly, uni- I mean, there's no such thing as universal support across all, across all the board, but there did seem to be generally speaking, a lot of people rather happy with the government's decision, a lot of people from all sides of the political aisle who seem to be unified on this decision. Do you think that that was a good thing?
1: Yeah, I tried to find some uh, contrarian types on Twitter. The leader or the opposition party, uh, Labour, are in a grill largely. Um, in fact, I think that the roadmap is pretty good. And um, and they're very keen on trying to get uh, kids back to school, um, which I think a lot of people are. And then some of the difficulty with that, when you get into the detail is obviously the unions uh, for schools are kind of against or very anti getting the kids back into school this quickly or all in one go. Hmm. And there's some of me thinks there might be some politics at play from there, from the unions on that front.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, and some of it, you know, some of it I'm sure is um, kind of fair skepticism, but I just I just worry that some of it's political. But you know, schools need to be safe. I do feel that there's a bit of a flippant, and I don't know if someone was misquoting intentionally, Boris Johnson, but um, or kind of cap, trying to capture what he was saying, paraphrasing. But schools are safe, of course. But it's uh, once you get children in, they become less safe. Um, but they need to be. It needs to be managed well. Uh, is a big bang getting all kids in school at the same time? Is it the right or wrong thing? I'm not sure. On one aspect, we could see a big spike in the R number, uh, infections and hospitalizations, hospitalizations. But on the other hand, maybe that rips the plaster off in one go, as opposed to a bit of a painful, slow increase. I'm not sure. I don't know the answer.
0: Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? I because I, I thought that schools in general actually had very low levels of transmission, generally speaking.
1: So, and I think they do on the face of it because um, it doesn't, it, well, it seems to not affect children uh, as much as adults. But I do think across um, teachers and TAs and support staff that um, it does become, I think, I think there's still an infection rate there. And then you think that those people or the children, if they're carrying it, then go back into the community uh, and have an opportunity to spread. And I just don't know how solid the data is on it or Mm. how solid that kind of concept has proven out to be. But children need to go back to school um, because, you know, they're missing out, not just on the work, but on everything that goes with it. You know, they can catch up on work. Some of the work they don't need to catch up on because some of it, as we know, is probably not as fundamental as others. And I'm sure that you know most schools have been doing great jobs on some of it. They're going to be kids that fall through the net, but actually they're missing out on the socialization. They're missing out on the opportunity to walk to school, to get the bus for playground uh, games and scuffles and dodging and diving and all the things that you kind of learn at school outside of the classroom. And um, that's the difficulty of things uh, that they're missing out on so assuming it's assuming it's safe um then yeah I think they should crack on Keir uh, Starmer is quite correct when uh, I think we said a couple of weeks ago he was calling for teachers and staff vaccinations to be ramped up and I think at the time we said it didn't make sense to push them up the queue because schools weren't opening but actually I think now schools are opening it does make sense to get the teachers up the queue considering that we've Uh, done the top four or five categories. Um, I think, you know, you could get teachers all done across a weekend, really, uh, with the right logistics. But um, it just seems that it might make sense getting them back in, uh, being vaccinated.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe that would be... I mean, there's a hierarchy of needs, isn't there, when it comes to those who need the vaccine more than others. And maybe it would make sense that that teachers were to be alongside some of those uh, who are vulnerable. I mean, you know, they've done...
1: They've done a great job, and I think most people who are in the vulnerable categories and the elderly, elderly categories have kind of been seen to. Um, yeah. Maybe they just do one weekend, or they just treat treat teachers uh, kind of in one go. I think um, when we say most people agree, by the way, I you know I think backbenchers on both parties are kind of up to a bit of troublemaking. Um, I think we'll touch on some of the Labour stuff later, but you know, the Tory party loves a backbench drama as much as anybody. Um, and you know, there's handfuls and pockets of the common sense group or whatever they hilariously have called themselves. Um, and I think that Boris Johnson just needs to make sure he's stands up kind of tough to them. And that's Keir Starmer said this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, don't, don't feel the heat from them when they're trying to speed up some of this lockdown, uh, lifting. I think there's a group that are asking it to be free by the end of April Um, but I think he should just stand strong and kind of ignore them Uh, and he's got that, you know, he's fortunate with a big majority and Labour cross-party support that he probably can rise above that
0: noise. Do you like political civility? It's something that's been on my mind for years, seeing America at breaking point with Donald Trump as president. The Brexit debate which divided the UK for many years and in some ways still going on now. It seems like there is so much noise out there and we can be under the illusion that the nastiness spouted by others on Twitter has to be the norm in political discourse. One of the ways you can really help Josh and myself out is to subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review wherever you choose to listen. This will really help more people discover the show. We aim, as you know, to bring political civility back to people who want to discuss even the most contentious issues without forgetting about the humanity in the people that they speak to. Thanks for your support. And now, back to the show. If we move on to the vaccine ethics, and so as you know, many discussions have been taking this have been taking place this week, and in the past few weeks regarding the ethics of enforcing the COVID vaccine, there's been talks of potentially a passport, um, like a vaccine passport, and and all of these things. And if I if I just open with what I think about these kind of things, I don't, I wouldn't call myself an anti vaxxer However, I do have certain degrees of suspicions and uh, slightly wary of certain vaccinations. And I, I actually haven't had a vaccination since I was um, very, very young at all, because um, my, my parents have been rather wary of them. And so I, as much as I wouldn't call myself an anti-vaxxer, I wouldn't, I'm not going to particularly sign up for this vaccine. I have no problem with other people signing up for it of course and uh, my uh, my dad's a chiropractor and even though he doesn't take vaccines himself he regularly uh, tells his patients to get vaccines for various things including COVID so it's one of those things where I feel very concerned about this becoming a rather sort of authoritarian measure forcing people to get the vaccine uh, within their own country I do think it's different when people are flying to other countries though I do think I do understand why things need to be a bit more enforced there but what are your um thoughts around this whole thing just on the country stuff first I think I think some of this
1: kind of ex- exists with a few um, diseases illnesses ailments around the world where you, you might not be able to be into a certain country because of I think yellow fever might have been one. You had to have a jab for that or something. So the concept itself isn't entirely new. Um, and I think when you're traveling to various countries, it seems quite, you know, for example, when people go to Thailand, um, I, the culture is that you get your jabs before you go. Same if you go to various places in Africa. It yeah. just seems it just seems that you do it. <laughs> um, and I... I've not, and I'm sure that people exist, but I've not met people that have done those holidays, for example, uh, that haven't had the vaccines. Now, I don't know if that's because it's a requirement or if it's just, you know, the idea of getting yellow fever, uh, dengue fever or any other kind of fever it doesn't really sound much fun. So people probably just do it. I don't know. But so as a concept for traveling abroad, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's one way that we have to try and get control globally of the virus because there's no point having Britain, for example, or any other country um, as COVID free as possible, incredibly low numbers, but then anyone coming into the country, bringing it in, infecting or or whatever. That, that seems j- just uh, a common sense approach, I guess, globally. Yes. Um, and Blair was saying this week about um, getting the G7 to work together to introduce something uh, along this lines. But essentially, he was driving it, just making sure that countries are aligned with whatever they're going to they're, they're do. Because the worst thing is if countries all take a different stance, um, that just seems like it will cause chaos and confusion, which means I think this thing would be with us for longer. Yeah. So, all that waffle aside, do I think an in international COVID passport. Um, I'm, I feel, and I could easily be dissuade on this, but I kind of feel like I'm in the camp of it being okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, within the country, I, I really struggle with this. Now, I think there is going to be a review. I think Boris Johnson's called for a, re- a review on this mm. to see um, kind of ideas. I'm like, you know, where, shock, I'm not a big fan of the current government, but there doesn't tend to be much, too much scrutiny on some of the some of the reviews and policy ideas that they kind of have. So I don't know if this goes through a select committee. Um, I don't know what stages it goes through and then when it eventually makes its way to the Lord, what the kind of discussions it will look like. But I feel that when it progresses a bit, we can get into some of the nitty gritty kind of work it out a bit more. What's the practical impact? Because at the moment, it seems quite philosophical. Mm. Um, the, the good news is that um, I've seen Annalisa Dodds and Ed Miliband um, both come out and said they welcome the review and they think it might be necessary. So there's going to be cross-party support for at least looking at the the details and what this plan might be.
0: Yeah.
1: And the, but where I then become, where I get difficult with is... Yeah, I don't know what the percentages, but to you need a certain amount of people vaccinated mm-hmm. for it to be worthwhile, for it to work. Now France, I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, or any listener correct me wrong if I'm wrong, but I think France is mandatory on vaccinations or certain vaccinations for you to be able to go to school, uh, mainstream school and various things like that. And I think that they might make the COVID uh, vaccine mandatory possibly. and um, but I don't know what that does. You know, I don't feel I'm not feel i am not not comfortable with making it mandatory. But then I kind of feel that if you're not going to have it, and it's not for a leg- inverted commas a legitimate medical reason, i.e. you're allergic or whatever the case may be, um, I, I you get into the philosophical bit of well, should you have as much freedom as Somebody else, so if we were to open football stadiums, we're only gonna think we ended end of the part of the roadmap, last day of the season, it's going to be 10,000 people or 10% of the ground, whatever's smaller, something like that, will be allowed back. Now, how do they get to 100%? How do we get into a position where Old Trafford, where I go, Man United's ground, has 70, on a normal match day, 75,000 people or so? How do we get to that position if you're getting huge groups of people there that aren't vaccinated? But then I totally get what your point will probably be, is how can we impinge on your civil liberties and say you can't come watch Man United because you're refusing to have a vaccine? Um,
0: it's it really difficult, isn't it? it is, yeah, it is tricky. It's, um, I feel like it's one of those conversations where there isn't a perfect answer either way, because Yeah. on one hand, if you're a scientist, and, you know, you've developed the vaccine, you have 100% faith in it, your perspective is very much going to be like, well, why would people on earth be sceptical when when the science is there? And then there are some people who... Let, let, let me just say that there are some anti-vaxxers out there, like, uh, like in, in any group, are a bunch of nutters who believe yeah. that, you know, in all the conspiracies that vaccinations are there because the government is trying to control people. And obviously the whole small government and being wary of government is very much a right-wing thing and I'm, and I am in that camp but I'm certainly not in the camp of those conspiracy theories because I think that they're nonsense and there's no evidence for them whatsoever. However, da-
1: they are dangerous as well, aren't they?
0: Well, you, well, I, I guess the, the the culture of them is is dangerous like the flat earth society or, or whatever. It, yeah. It's just yeah, it's yeah. it's just um big parties based on severe misinformation. Um, but then it's very like we've discussed before. It's very hard to go down that road because people would say that um, certain religions are like that and whatever. And then if you start stopping people from believing things that you believe are untrue, then then you've just gone down a, a you know a, a very yeah. difficult road. It's it's hard. It's it's difficult. Again, it's just one of those things that. So I, I won't personally be getting myself. I personally, so when I looked into the vaccine, I was slightly unsure of the testing period and how much they tested the symptoms of it and, and so I don't I, I, I'm sure it's fine. That's what I, that's what I would say about it. I'm sure it's probably fine and I'm planning to go abroad this year if I can, if I can. and if I have to get the vaccine to go abroad, then I'll get it. Uh, but if it, if I'm at home, I would probably just prefer not to, and maybe there's a degree of that that is hypocritical and slightly um, to do with cognitive dissonance, but uh, I just, yeah, it's it's a really tricky one. Do you mind if I ask you about then, so where that wariness
1: comes from? So I know obviously you've mentioned, uh, alluded to your parents, so yeah but where's where's that where's it based in or what's the kind of what's some of the the reasoning to it and if you don't mind just kind of saying what kind of jabs so I assume you didn't have your did you have your ones that you get in year 11
0: your BGCs or whatever they're called and all those ones no I didn't have any of those uh, yeah I mean I was I think I was the only one in that class but so I mean my father wouldn't have more information about this than I do but there was a particular vaccination that I got when I was four and my father got it as well we both got it at the same time and we both developed asthmatic symptoms as soon as we got it and I struggled with asthma I think for several years after I had that and my dad struggled with it for longer than that as well uh, we're talking straight after the vaccination and um, um, my dad's a uh, like I say, my dad's a chiropractor so he's Got a lot of medical knowledge anyway, and he's not by any means a conspiracy theorist or an anti-vaxxer himself. Like I've already explained, he advises other people to get it. So, um but I think that since then he's been very wary about some medical advice. Uh, so I, it's like I was saying, I don't have a huge amount of info on it. No, but I, ever- I think it's kind of interesting. It is interesting because I think personally,
1: if you know. Let's for I've got no reason to dispel that. But let's say um, for whatever reason you and your dad become poorly after you've got that kind of last vaccine. Mm-hmm. There's always a risk with vaccine, but then there's always a risk with any medical procedure, isn't there? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. If you're gonna have your append, you know, if you're gonna have your appendix out, there's a uh, you know a risk of death will yeah. be on one of the uh, the the waivers that you kind of sign up to. But yeah, I just can't. Um, so if I put that into some, maybe some of the allergy side, uh, potentially, I don't know. Um, it's I just find, I find it really interesting because I never would not have a vaccine, I think. but um, yeah. well, you see, you never say never because obviously, you know, in some dystopian future that we might one day wander into, things could uh, get a bit different. But um, in this kind of modern time that we live in, I find... I just feel that we should. And what I don't know enough about really is if, of any uh, immunisation, if I'm vaccinated, can I still spread it? So my then comeback would be to you if you're not vaccinated and you could then be spreading it. Um, Firstly, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if you know or what the conditions are on it. But secondly, does that not then start to impinge on other people's civil liberties? from a kind of a political point of view
0: well you're right in some way it does and this is this is the tricky thing and why in some way i'm torn on it i'll always stand up for people's freedom um to to do what they want to do but yes to some degree you're you're right if i I mean i guess that, that an argument would be is that by that point most of the people who are vulnerable have been vaccinated from it already and so if you have covid and then you're passing it to other people. Those people will likely be fine. Now, I'm not by s- saying that that suddenly makes the problem go away, because of course it doesn't. But I guess that would be, I guess that that would be an argument, but not one that would completely satisfy the question, if that makes sense. It makes,
1: yeah. I, whilst I completely disagree with
0: you, and um, I get that
1: some of the kind of standpoints that you're kind of coming from. Hmm. Um, but I suppose part of me just feels. There's a bit of a civil duty to it but then you shouldn't be coerced into it but of course absolutely not Um but at the same time i also would rather not catch covid so i feel quite happy to uh,
0: go and get jabbed i guess if you were to stem the argument from that um, point of view If those who really, really don't want to get COVID by that point have had their vaccination, and those who are vulnerable have it, does it matter if there are a bunch of people who don't want to have the vaccination and they kind of spread it to other people who also didn't get it as well?
1: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's just what I was kind of thinking of, and I think largely that probably feels right. But then there's obviously people that can't get vaccinated, um, who are vulnerable. Um, So those, those with allergies, those with, and then you kind of start saying right. What do you do with those? Do you start saying, you can't come to the football game? Uh,
0: well, I guess with you, with such a, a tiny, tiny subset of the population, yeah, um, do, do you not think that they would probably be exercising their own caution as well, potentially? Yeah,
1: yeah quite possibly. I don't know. I don't, I, yeah, this is a moving thing, isn't it? We'll know more about it. Because you know, we also don't know how, if you have to have it every year, what's the period in which you have it? Because obviously everyone's having two at the moment within... I don't know, six or 12 weeks. But we might find that during that window, you're compromised. Hmm. But actually during that, so that means you have to be more we- wary in that window because if they can't in the future, if we can't vaccinate everyone on a s- constant cycle, I don't know. There's loads of known unknowns, I suppose. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I think that I think that when it, just when it comes to the whole anti-vaxxer thing, because like I've already explained, I wouldn't identify as that but yeah. again it's always it's always the people who are on the extremes of these debates who get the limelight and, and it's uh, that's the most frustrating thing because i've always found that my dad has has had a very moderate and fair opinion on just being slightly wary of some vaccinations just for himself not for other people just for him but it's not people like him who have a what i would call a a reasonable position on this who get the limelight it's the people who are saying that you know injecting this will cause your hair to fall out and you know a stem to fall out you know to to come out your head and the government will now control you and it's 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 those you know maniacs that are the ones who get the limelight and i just think that there's a there's a bigger discussion to be had about the vaccine when it comes to human rights from from both sides So what does civility mean? The dictionary definition says formal politeness and courtesy in behaviour and speech. What I've realised about political anger is that it's actually a temptation. Sometimes we have to thumb past tweets that we want to respond to, but realise that if we did we'd only add fuel to the fire. And what about our friends, families? We all know someone who's got opposing views to us, the question is how do you treat them? Make the world a better place by talking about politics in a manner that is civil, kind, and brings out the best in others. If you have any stories, drop us a tweet at the Red Blue Pod. Now, back to the show. In terms of Keir Starmer, we were talking earlier about the fact that he was agreeing with the government decision for the most part when it comes to releasing the lockdown. But as you've probably been aware, as a member of the Labour Party yourself, he's been getting quite a bit of blowback from some of the unions and some of the people who are probably, you would say, are on the left of the party. What has been your take on his leadership so far and and those criticisms.
1: Yeah, so we must be about 10 months since uh, Keir Kiyosama took to the lead. Um, Yep. But we have to remember what he inherited. And he inherited an absolute disaster of a party. Hmm. And it's kind of, (laughs) yeah, kind of footballing-wise, taking the reins after David Moyes at Man United or Jose Mourinho at Man United, for those that are into it. You know, it's a big party and big with big expectations, but there's absolutely been run in a way that was not functioning and full of internal dramas. Now, some of those internal dramas have subsided a little bit. Um, they seem to have more of a handle on some of the anti Semitism problems um, through taking it as a, a more effective, if not tougher, stance. In the previous administration um but also just trying to work through it in a bit more i'd love to say grown-up approach but that's kind of how how it comes across in a bit more as you would imagine a party would however he's not it's not been the most inspiring 10 months but then also you know he's also been dealt a tough hand in terms of uh, being leader of the opposition during a pandemic most people aren't that bothered by what you've got to say because, you know, they expect the government to govern. If you criticise too much, um, you get seen as just getting in the way and bashing the government for government's sake. And if you, you know, apparently if you support them too much, you get people saying, oh, you're supposed to be the opposition. So
0: it's never easy. It's never easy. Yeah. damned if you do. damned if you don't, really, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, he's not set the world on fire, but we've got four more years, I think, is it, to the next general election? Three more years? Something like that, yeah. Um, unless it gets called before four, that, yeah. but yeah, it, it, yeah. So he's playing a relatively sensible and relatively long game. Um, he's almost certainly not going to be running against Boris Johnson in the next for the next election. You don't think um, so? No, I think I've read a lot and
0: hear a lot that um, I don't think Boris Johnson will be leader of the Tories into the next election. Really? What? Okay. Um, what? Well, that's interesting. I haven't heard that. What makes you think that that's the case?
1: So there's a few things that kind of come personally from him that um, that you know he doesn't get paid enough. He was earning more money writing columns um, <laughs> and being a journalist and all that kind of stuff. So their lifestyle was taken a bit of a battering, um, and obviously having a new child on the block was making thing money quite tight. Um, Then there's things that you kind of hear from the inside circle. Um, Firstly, personal effects of COVID and some of the stuff still struggling. Uh, The arguments between Carrie and what was Dominic Cummings and Lee Kane and everybody else. the fact that he's, I think it's just finding it a bit difficult, which is obviously, is obviously difficult. Um, I don't think many people would begrudge him being knackered at the end of this, to be fair. Um, but I think there's also quite a growing discontent within the, party as it's, the parties itself. I think there's some manoeuvres going on. I was reading the other day that Michael Gove and Jeremy Hunt are on various manoeuvres in the background and slowly building support for a leadership election. Um,
0: well, I wouldn't. A, I wouldn't want Gove or Hunt to be PM. Firstly, I think I think I'd put. I throw my hat in the ring to either Rishi Sunak. Um,
1: yeah, and it yeah. probably. Pro,
0: I would imagine Richie uh, Rishi would win. Um, I don't personally
1: think that's a good thing um, because I'm not a big fan of Rishi Sunak. Um, and I think there's a lot more behind the scenes that people don't know. He's very well publicised and he's spinning really well. Um. But you know, time will tell. So, but I, but I would imagine, uh, Keir Starmer will be facing, uh, Rishi Sunak, which is why the Labour Party have gone off, start going after Rishi Sunak a bit more, as well on things. Hmm. Um, hmm. But so there's no point in having a massive lead at the moment, or yeah, you know, because it arose. We saw Jeremy Corbyn, I think, three years before Prime Minister before the general election, uh, he was relatively popular before anyone actually got to know him. Um, and those polls crashed right down, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what's the point in being 10 points ahead and then, you know, six months before a general election, 10 points behind, and then finishing with an 80, a minus 80 or a lead of 80 to the opposition or the government? There's no point, is there? Um, but what Labour can't seem to do, or a certain faction of Labour can't seem to do, they think or act at the very least that it's all about them Um, And actually, I think this is true, and this is part of Corbyn's kind of whole personality and whole drive of Corbynism, I think, that it came with an incredible ego. Now, did he have his heart in the right place that he wanted to help the, um, the poor, the needy, the ill? 100%, I totally think, yes. But did that come with a massive ego bit that was actually more interested almost in fighting the party? And trying to win the party to his side, as opposed to trying to win the um, win the country. Yeah, I do. Because one thing that you see criticism of um, from the left on Keir Starmer, and we spoke about this before, uh, is him trying to reach out to the voters that didn't vote Labour previously. Mm. And you, that's for me, that's not a madness if you're criticising your leader. Trying to try and win more votes. Um, it seems ludicrous. And okay, whilst the Labour Party aren't polling well, Keir Starmer is actually still doing pretty well. His numbers have come down a bit in the last month or two, but his, um, his net score is pretty decent. Um, he's far less unpopular than Jeremy Corbyn was. Um, far more popular also. So he's moving in the right direction. It's just a bit slowly, slowly. And
0: I get that we still don't know what a Keir Starmer policy really looks like. But at the moment,
1: does anyone really care?
0: Yeah, it's 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 difficult, isn't it? Because um, because what you were saying there about Corbyn was trying to appeal to certain members of the party. So a lot of people have that criticism of Keir Starmer, don't they? They say that oh, we you know, he, that he's trying to appeal uh, appeal to the um, the the, the centre and well, or people would even say like the right of the Labour Party. And um, and he's agreeing with the government too much. And one thing that really struck me. So when, so when I listened to an interview between Owen Jones, who I don't like, mm. and Alistair Campbell, who I do kind of like, is that as Alistair was saying that look, in order to do all of these amazing social justice things that you're talking about, you have to first get power. You can have the best policies in the world, and I think we send over
1: last general election. We took some of the policies, didn't we? And actually. They were all right. Mm. Um, there was some and actually they polled quite well. But if you don't have a leader that people can see going over to Merkel or her replacement or Macron or Trump or Biden or whatever and leading on the world stage,
0: mm.
1: you ain't you're not gonna get voted in. And then what do you do? Absolutely nothing. Or you could you've been your manifesto because it's been rejected. Mm. And then you, you can't just spend decades in the wilderness in opposition and going oh we've got the government to do a U-turn because no one credits the opposition with getting the government to do a U-turn particularly and mm-hmm. um, you just normally not anymore anyway they just say oh I'm glad the government made the right decision in the end move on.
0: In terms of Keir Starmer's personality because I know that this has also been criticized and I'll go into what I think about his policies a little bit a little bit later on but some will say that he's too boring He's too vanilla. There's nothing interesting about him. At least with Boris, you kind of, you love him or you hate him. He's a sort of a bit of a character in a way. I'm not even saying that that's what we should be aiming for as Prime Minister, but it's been said. Um, Maybe you could actually have Theresa May in that same camp to some degree. Uh, Maybe even... Cameron thinking about it, to be fair. Um, So, what do you think of those criticisms?
1: It wouldn't be a very fun dinner party, would it, with uh, Theresa May and Keir Starmer, I don't think. He'd probably be wrapping up quite early if it was on Come Down with me.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But,
1: we, you look across the pond, um, I think there was similar criticisms at Biden, but he is the right personality for the right time. When you're faced with bombast and hubris, Um, sometimes just having someone that's a bit straighter, a bit more narrow, you know, on the straight and narrow and a bit playing with a straight bat or whatever you want to say uh, can be quite appealing. Um, And I, you know, you look at Rishi Sunak as well, he's actually probably more similar personality-wise in Keir Starmer than he is Boris Johnson. Um, Yes. And and I I think Boris Johnson's personality, I can see why, whilst I I'm not a fan. Uh, I can see why that appealed after Theresa May. Um, because, you know, he's kind of a bit of a, following, a firecracker after a wet blanket. Um, but actually, <laughs> but yeah, it is important. But at the same time, it shouldn't be the only thing. Um, and maybe he does need to liven up a little bit. But he's not going to because that's his personality. He's what, is he 60, 55, 60-odd. He's not going to change that. Um but, you know, I'd, I'd rather stand behind him on some really decent policies that, you know, we hope to be seen as opposed to um, someone that's a very funny after-dinner speaker.
0: I think that when so when it comes to his policies, and maybe you can help me out with this, is that I, I feel like I don't entirely know what to believe when Keir Starmer is, is talking about things. And that's a problem I have with pretty much every politician. But what I mean about that is that I think that a lot of people on the Brexit side find... They find it very hard to forgive him because they they knew what his position was on, on Brexit and they sort of wonder how much of his positions are down to more political convenience than they are to deep-rooted convictions. And what I mean by that is recently this, this whole patriotism with having the flag and, uh, and, you know, and not wanting to raise corporation tax which you know great is brilliant but i'm i sort of wonder f- f- just from the other side just from my perspective i sort of wonder how mm. many of these things these these centrist policies that he's backing or agreeing with the tories as much as i like it i wonder how much of it is political convenience of trying to move you move the party back to the center but actually does is that really what he believes or is he just trying to gain power
1: no so i think Keir sama at the very heart of it is a pragmatist um, and probably is what he probably is a centrist um and I think you know if he had it his own way we would never would have left the eu but I think he you know he's very accepted that we have I think he's more in trouble of upsetting remainers and he's uh, brexit is if you look at some of the some of the polling maybe not some of the if you take a horrible phrase the red wall for example mm-hmm. Labour are, are back polling quite well there definitely as brexit is um proving to be Pretty tough going at the beginning, you know, where we are at the moment. And there's almost an element of that does a lot of Keir Starmer's talking for him. Um, that, you, you you know, when people are losing their jobs um, and, you know, uh, when I read, loads of flowers are rotting in fields because they can't be, be picked and not being sent over and all the negative stuff that he once warned about. Uh, when some of that comes to fruition, it does its own kind of talking. But I think there's ardent Brexiters that might, you know, that tend to be in the southeast, for example, that probably wouldn't forgive him. But in four years time, it could be a non-issue. Um, so they might look kind of for other things. I don't know. But I do I do believe that he is, a, yeah, he is a, prag, a pragmatist as opposed to an ideologue. Uh, And I think I actually kind of admire that a lot of the time. Now, we're yet to see some key Keir Starmer policies. There's a few rumblings and there's a few little bits and pieces that come out, but nothing that says, bam, this is what we're going for. And we might see that a bit more in some of the local elections coming up in May. Maybe not. No pun. Uh,
0: But, yeah, we do need to get to know and We do need to know what some of his key policies are. What do you think will happen with those who are much further to the left of the party. So I'm thinking of Rebecca Long Bailey, Clive Lewis, yeah. um, Owen Jones. My mate, my, my, my mate Richard Burgeon. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So what what do you think? Do you think that if if this is um, Keir Starmer's real identity of being a centrist, I'm not totally convinced, but let's just say that that is who he is and that's where he would drive the party if you won an election. Do you think that those people who want the quote-unquote revolution, socialist revolution, do you think they'll stick around?
1: So I think actually Clive Lewis, whilst he's on the left, um, I think he seems to be quite a supporter of Keir Starler. And I think the the centre, what we deem as centrism, has probably changed over the last few years as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's not a a Blairite centralist, although he probably was back in the 90s, but then so were the majority of uh, people for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But moving more centre it only seems so central because of how left the labour party were uh, a year plus ago um but you know where where can these people go and do they add much value um you always need a dennis skinner type in the labour party um you you need those that are on the left and the back you know banging the drum for real left policy and again I'm using all the cliches today but you need a broad church don't you um, across all the across the spectrum I think um where can they go maybe back out of politics and maybe for someone like Rebecca Long Bailey and Richard bershon that might not be the worst thing um, for anyone for anyone but there's no party Britain wouldn't not in, unless there's a change to how we elect our officials, i.e., if first past the post goes and we get a bit more of a proportional representation, um, a leftist, quote unquote, party isn't getting in in Britain. It's not getting elected. Yeah. Um, you You can either essentially get a smudge left of centre up into, you know, the Tory party and wherever we're going with that. Um, so I take it back to what you referenced as Campbell said you'd have all these great ideas but without being in government they're effectively pointless Mm. Um, and that sounds a bit, I don't know if it sounds a bit Machiavellian, it sounds a bit power hungry but actually, well that's the idea isn't it you get into politics to affect change that you want to see
0: Yes.
1: and you can't do it on the opposition bench that much Mm -hmm. You 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 might get 5% but that, that's, you know, that's probably incredibly frustrating. Um, the corporation tax thing, for example, is I think is actually really interesting because <laughs> he's now going against uh, the Tory Party, but yet he's getting those on the left who are now saying <laughs> that he should be supporting them on this one. So hmm. whilst we haven't seen the details, largely it seems uh, proposed that um, Rishi Sunak. And co are gonna increase corporation tax. Whether it's a one-off, I don't know. Details remain to be seen. And Keir Starmer's come out and said, and this is something I agree with, uh, corporation tax because it's not pro- uh, progressive. It's not tiered. It's a reg- you know could be a regressive tax, and it therefore will punish um, small, medium enterprise uh, enterprises and businesses that have already been battered by COVID hmm. and have already. And large of the large amount of them are uh, feeling the effects of Brexit. Now, people will say, "Oh, but you're only going to be paying it on profit." Well, unless it's changed, and I've not looked in the last year or eighteen months. Starbucks didn't post a profit before. Well, there's no way they posted a profit during lockdown, I imagine. Um, so you think, right? That's a big company. Amazon don't post profits. Okay. So the big companies that you would really want to target, and by we, you, one. The le- the you know the left here would really want to target these massive conglomerates oh, they ain't making profits or they're not making much of a profit what's really gonna hit home is um a hundred thousand pound turnover business um where the owner makes a few you know makes a nice living but it has pre- it's been squeezed for the last couple of years you have got to squeeze them more so Kilam is saying whoa 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 this isn't the right thing to do and then you get the left of the party jumping on him I I think they're just doing it to either they don't understand it or they're playing politics
0: Bring political civility back by joining us every Friday on the Red and Blue podcast You can also find us on Twitter at the Red Blue Pod where both Josh and I Aaron will be tweeting our thoughts throughout the week